You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. John, it's a pretty big episode, man. This is the season finale of uh, season two of Westworld. I'm pretty sure these red lines in my eyes are from just staying up at night thinking about it. Oh, I bet. I mean, it's uh, it might it might actually mean that you're you're a you're a host. I wondered about that. Uh, by the way, these scars on my arms are from trying to search for the uh, little input device. The input it, device. It's, it's not track marks. <laughs> uh, I like how it. it kind of starts off right around there in the in the beginning of the episode with like where you left off with him in the last episode yeah it's uh it picks up right where it left off yeah but pretty much i had to rewatch that scene okay we'll get into it in a second <laughs> uh but yeah that's what we're talking about the se- season two finale of westworld but first let's talk a couple of uh stories from uh from the geek world before because we're gonna have a lot to talk about with westworld but First thing you wanted to talk about was Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Jared Leto is getting or has is said I don't know if it said that he wants to do it or he's going to do it, but I'm pretty sure he wants to do it. He wants to be in, he wants to be Morbius in a Sony Spider-Verse movie. That would be pretty cool cuz this would be the first like monster villain. I guess from the DCU or not the DCU Marvel U. I mean, you have like cosmic beings like Dormammu, but yeah, I haven't actually had like an actual legendary type monster. But it's not. The, it's also not the MCU. It's 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 Fox or no Sony. Sony. Yeah. Um, well, are they not gonna still be associated? So not everything that's that's not like straight up Spider-Man movie is not associated with the MCU. So would this be its own separate, like Venom style? Yes. Movie? Ah. So I, I assume that the Venom movie, the the now pushed back Black and Silver movie or Silver and Black movie, and then the um, uh, this Morbius movie, and there's I think there's uh, there's a couple other ones that they keep saying they're gonna. Oh, Silk. They said the this came out this couple this last week that they're gonna make a Silk movie. So all that stuff is in the. Sony Spider Verse that is separate from Spider Man and the MCU. However, people are speculating that Spider Man himself, Tom Holland, Spider Man, is still going to show up in Venom at some point. And it's like, how can you not? How can you not have? How can you have all these characters and not have Spider Man himself show up? I mean, Sony will probably find a way. 
to well, justify that. But see, the thing—that's the thing—is that in, I, I was it John Schnapp over on uh, Collider Heroes. He, I think, he put it the best way: is that if you think about it, Sony owns the rights to, to Spider-Man. They let Marvel, Disney, or yeah, Disney um, at the with the Marvel Studios use Spider-Man in their movies. It's not like they're not getting any benefit out of it. I'm, assu- I'm assuming they get a, a share of the profits, but why wouldn't they use the character in their own movies? Probably because they have bad writers. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I'm just saying if Spider-Man is super popular, it doesn't take a genius writer to just be like, have him come into the movie and walk into the movie, say hi to to Eddie Brock and be like, hey, you should put a spider on that on your chest kind of thing and walk away. Like I, don't, I mean, I have no idea what, what the scene would be in Venom that, that's going to have Spider-Man in it, but I, I have to assume that he's going to be in there because Sony's not going to just leave that money on the floor. They're, it's it's their character. Tom Holland could be like the Nick Fury of the Spider-Verse. Honestly, what I think is going to happen is I think is that they're going to go... Sh- really far into the um the spider-verse stuff that they do in the comic books right now because in the comic books you know you have miles morales and and spider gwen and you know they're all from different universes so this is just going to be a different universe from uh the mcu and that universe will, will have a tom holland peter parker as well he just it's not the tom holland peter parker that's had adventures with iron man so Sony, uh, start calling Jessica Walters, and you can definitely make her a Madam Web. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you said Jessica Walters, and my my brain went to Jennifer Walters, uh, She Hulk, and I was like, "What are you talking <laughs> about?" But all right, fair enough. Yeah, she Jessica could be played by Marissa Tomei. Yes, that's right. I said She Hulk. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, but yeah. Um, you know, kind Morbius. Of ta- I, don't, I don't know. A little tangential to this, though. Um, speaking of the Spider Verse, I read an article today, and I only glint, like glanced at the title, so it could have just been clickbait. But I saw something about how uh, Todd McFarlane wants to have a crossover with Spawn and Venom. Uh, I I did remember seeing that that title too. I don't think I I don't think I read the article either. But uh, I mean kind of makes sense Todd McFarlane's the one that created the symbiote suit yeah well what did he create the symbiote or did he create Venom oh from the symbiote? that's right he created Venom yeah because the symbiote was around since the 80s with Secret War like he did that in like the early 90s or something yeah, yeah. but anyway yeah so I mean that would be kind of interesting kind of merge those worlds and have uh, Spawn be a part of the Marvel U which I guess technically it is now because like Angela's a as guardian and well yeah they changed they swapped characters or something or I don't know they just brought her over I I, I don't think she's exactly part of the MCU tangentially maybe or MU. I mean, maybe you can get Thanos to snap his fingers and bring him over hey <laughs> what you know sure why not I'm all for it I mean uh, Spawn kind of was just a Spider-Man just happened to be all this hell stuff and because he used the change like a web yeah. he used his cape you know he has the the big white eyes like venom kind of thing yeah expressive face even through the mask yeah well yeah all right uh yeah morbius i don't know living vampire i, I never found him to be interesting as a character jerry leto is obviously a good actor when you give him something good to, to be in so sure why not 
and then they can bring in Blade. Well, Blade Blade actually is over at the MCU now. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Those rights went back. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that would they that would th- those two characters go together, but uh, they wouldn't anymore. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> There's an actual Dracula in the Marvel universe, isn't there? Yeah, that's where uh, Blade actually started. Was in the Tomb of Dracula. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. I guess you can't really do that exact same version of Dracula since Paramount, Paramount, Universal, Universal. Well, I think that. The, but does the name Dracula mm-hmm. is is that in public domain? Like the, yes. the idea of of Dracula and and Bram Stoker's Dracula, like isn't that in public because it's it's so old? Technically, yes, but there's just like I guess specific story beats that are like, owned by Universal. Owned by Universal, yeah. Okay. That. that that would that makes sense. It's like, it's like when you when uh, you know Disney does the Little Mermaid, but then uh, you can make the Mermaid Princess or whatever because yeah. technically it's an old folk tale, but you can't do like you can't do the Little Mermaid. Your Mermaid Princess can't have uh, a talking fish or some shit. A little flounder and a, a crab, crab and all yeah, that. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about a Morbius story, a Morbius movie? I think we need to start getting some of those really fringe characters out there <laughs> to either like help expand the the genre, uh-huh. or to pin- finally just start driving it into the ground. It's like it, it's it's a bubble that's gonna burst someday. You know, it's like westerns in the seventies or late sixties. You know, like. You started off with the idealistic ones, and then you got the really greedy ones later on, and then it died out, and then they were gone for several years, and then you get the renaissance in the mid-90s with things like uh, Tombstone and Unforgiven. And, um, yeah, but they still, they still kept making westerns. I mean, we just got uh, Magnificent Seven again. Oh, well, see, now it's on the downswing again. I think the last good western we had was probably... I don't know, three ten to Yuma maybe. I thought the Magnificent Seven was good. Three ten to good. Three ten to Yuma is also good, but yeah, that's uh, pretty good. I thought. I mean, all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't. I really don't feel like the bubble the bubble's gonna burst on on superhero movies anytime soon. Um, I think I, I think maybe after Avengers Four is the biggest uh indicator of what 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 it could be what what could happen with the rest of the genre because. You know, with people with certain contracts being up, and are people still going to want to follow characters? Uh, you know, without their Robert Downey Juniors and Chris Hemsworths and Chris he- Chris Evans. Yeah, but you know that eventually, somewhere down the line, at like the twentieth anniversary of Marvel or Iron Man coming out or something, they'll make a big cameo and it'll be huge, and they'll probably get paid like fifty million dollars for like. <laughs> A minute of screen time it, it'll be crazy hey but. if they can do it then more power <laughs> to them uh oh it'd it, it kind of be like fucking jeff goldblum's oh, part yeah. in glorified cameo in fucking fallen kingdom <laughs> god they plaster him all over that trailer for his whole a minute and a half exposure in that movie yeah they uh, should have brought back uh who could have they brought back maybe that little kid that was scared by the Raptor Claw in the first Raptor one. Claw. Yeah, what was that? What was that kid's name? I um, forget his name, but there was a fan theory that he, that he grew up to, to be, be Owen. Owen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, uh, okay, well, 
talking about comic book movies, they re- uh, Patty Jenkins is getting ahead of uh, paparazzi and releasing photos of uh, her stars in the movies before uh, anyone else can. And uh, we got to see the first image of Kristen Wiig in the movie as Professor Minerva? Yes. Minerva yeah. something. Yeah. She's uh, uh, the, eventually known as the villain uh, Cheetah in the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, the picture, she's just 80s lady in a museum. Very frumpy looking. Yeah. Like oversized dress, very uncomfortable in her skin. Right. And she's just looking at stuff in the museum. Um, we know that in Batman v Superman, yeah, Batman v Superman, uh, Wonder Woman is working at the Louvre. She is uh, some kind of curator there or something like that. Isn't that in... Don't we first see that in Wonder Woman? No, we saw it in Batman v Superman first. Really? Yeah, he dropped... At the end of the movie, he gives her that box and says, here's your stuff back. Isn't that what happened? No, that was at the beginning of Wonder Woman. Was it? Yeah. Like, we don't even know what Wonder Woman does in the first movie. We just know she's some kind of, like, art expert because she could tell that that sword was a fake. And then... Like, she's on Turkish Airways for, you know, marketing purposes and then gets off the plane and then we never see her again. And then Wonder Woman starts and she's at the Louvre and that's when she gets that box. Uh, well, either way, it doesn't matter. She's a, she's <laughs> a curator at the fucking Louvre. <laughs> okay. Uh, so she, there, I, I think it's a good possibility at whatever museum it is that uh, Cheetah's at in this that they she could also be working at that museum. So she's kind of like the Hannibal Lecter of the... Uh, DCU, she just jumps around from museum to museum because she's an expert in all things historical. Yeah, well, I mean, she's lived through it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so that's I, I and you know mm-hmm. that's I think that's why she was able, I mean, obviously why she was able to pick out the the sword being a fake. I still think her greatest superpower is knowing all these different languages that she had no way of knowing. <laughs> why would she have no way of knowing them? Well, because they're people never left the islands. How could she know Spanish yeah. and Portuguese and French and all these other ones? <laughs> Because, it, well, she is created by the gods. I mean... Which is why that's a great superpower. Oh, okay. <laughs> Superman can't do that. That's true. I bet you Batman only knows like three languages tops. Why would he need to know anything other than English? He's, he's Bruce Wayne. That's true. <laughs> Money talks. Uh, he can pay for a translator. That's, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, so I think, I think, honestly, I think that they will have a relationship, a romantic relationship between the two, two of them. Ooh, she's going to be a scorned lover. I think that's a possibility that Cheetah could... She ends up getting the Cheetah powers because she she ends up being mad at, at Wonder Woman, at, at uh, Diana. You could say that the jealousy drives her catty. I wouldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess someone could. Uh, I mean, would you have any, do you have anything off of this, this picture? Um, basically, just it reminds me a lot of like the original version of like the batman returns catwoman and then later mm. the Halle berry catwoman mm-hmm. where it's like a meek and mild like stuffy fuddy duddy person and so then, then you're s- saying if i don't like cheetah i have tim tim burton yet again to blame yes you have tim burtonitis i hate tim burton <laughs> <laughs> that's not true i don't hate him I don't like half of his movies. Hey, until the early 2000s, he gave us the best version of Batman that existed up until then. So, 
No. Aside from the Batman animated series. Exactly. You, you, you're just going to start taking... Well, except, except for that, and except for other things that were good. <laughs> like, Okay, what other Batman was good besides the animated series before the 2000s? Well, that's... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I see you sputtering. I bet you if you go back and watch some of those original serials that, that played in movie theaters, they were probably good. You know what? I bet you they weren't. <laughs> I haven't seen them except for, like, stills. And I could bet you they were bad. Hey. Okay. Fine. Yes. The only drink of water in the middle of the desert was really good, i.e. Batman, 1989. And he poured in a storm. I guess. I mean, you could say before 1989, the only good Batman we saw was Batman 66 then. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, come <laughs> on. That's not, it's not saying much. Look, I, I just I have my problems with that 1989 movie. When I was what when that came out when I was seven, so when I was seven, I saw that I was like, oh shit, this is fucking amazing. This is Batman. Then I read a comic book and I was like, shit, that wasn't <laughs> Batman at all. What was that? That was a dude in a suit. Uh, that was Tim Burton's like weird f- fetish rubber suit wet dream, I guess. I guess, but it, it made all the money, so it got all the sequels. Uh, okay, then the last story we wanted to talk about was, um, I forgot what, what the story was. The, uh, the first poster for Glass. Oh, that's right, Glass. So in the poster you have uh, the three characters of David Dunn, Elijah Crane? I think so, yeah. Yeah, or Mr. Glass, and, um, uh, and the Beast, played by James McAvoy. I forget what his actual name was i only remember that patricia has the light yeah okay uh they're all sitting in chairs which looks like uh in like a medical facility they look like they're committed yeah yeah and then above them you see like depictions of their alter egos now what what did you glean from this poster um, it's making really, really cool use of color. Okay. Because <laughs> you got all purple for Mr. Glass. So all, I think all green for Dunn. All green for Dunn. And I believe it's... Orange? Orange or yellow? For... orange? Yeah, I think it's like an orange for the beast. I wonder why they picked orange. Maybe because the flesh, I guess. I mean, he's shirtless most of the time. Yeah, I forgot. I don't know. <laughs> something, something didn't make me think about that. But... Uh, I know that earlier in the year they had CinemaCon and a lot of the reports that came out of there of the uh, industry people that got to see some early footage of it, they it said that um, the scene that they saw was uh, the three characters in a mental institute uh, talking to a female doctor, I believe, and ex- kind of explaining to them, explaining to her what their alter egos are. So... To me, it makes me think that the movie is going to posit that none of the other stuff in the two other movies happened. It's just these crazy people talking to each other. I doubt that's what the actual movie is. I think that was just like a that's just a scene that they were they created for that. It's like a like one of those teasers they filmed. It's not actually intended to be in the movie. Right. Just give you an idea. Yeah, that's what I think. But the fact that they have this poster makes me think otherwise well there could still be some elements of that in the final movie if not actually that's how it will be mm-hmm. um i'm just kind of really hoping um and i trust that if they do do it that they'll figure out a way to make it right but i hope they incorporate other characters from the 
um, Shyamalan verse, I guess. <laughs> so like, I really do genuinely hope that we see Haley Joel Osment in it. You know, that was funny. Is that uh, a long time ago? I think after Lady in the Water came out, I I I said that you could make a uh, M Night Shyamalan like comic book universe where all these characters got together. So you'd like you'd have uh, the Lady in the Water is one character and David Dunn oh is God. another character and then uh, Haley Joel Osment's character because he could see ghosts you know uh, then I would also have the William Hurt's character from the village the the professor or nice. the psychologist that put everybody into that world so that they could live like harm free or whatever he's like some kind of megalomaniac now. yeah but I would have him as their like their Professor X like bringing them all together because he, he saw that his first way of doing stuff was wrong and this way he can get the heroes together they would need to ha- call this the league of, of extraordinary shamalan men yes no that's wrong that's terrible Shamalman. uh but no yeah i mean it'd be cool to see like a grown-up Haley joel osmond's character like i hope he would cut that beard i don't know if you've seen him lately he's oh always, yeah he's always got that um, weird beard I mean, if they could make Mark Hamill, like, lose a ton of weight and get fit for The Last Jedi in, like, six months, they could do that for him. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, he doesn't need to lose weight. I just think his, his Duck Dynasty beard is his a little beard, too much. They just need to trim him. Well, maybe that could go along with his, like, maybe he's crazy from seeing all the dead people. Okay, that, that's fair I enough. mean, and I would love to see Mark Wahlberg talking about how the trees are trying to kill no, us all. No, no, we don't talk about the happening. <laughs> that, that didn't happen. It's in there. You got to take the good with the bad. No. That was terrible. Mel Gibson. Like I actually about like Lady in the Water. I know everybody. Yeah, you could you could have you could have just an alien like be there. Oh, but you're talking about in the if it was like a asylum scene. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, that would actually wouldn't be bad. You could have all those. All these people are just crazy. Yeah. And then the plot twist is that the nurse or whoever the doctor interviewing them all is M Light Shyamalan, and he's writing down all these ideas to make movies. That that's pretty. It's pretty meta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would watch it, and then I'd be like, oh, man, M. Night Shyamalan just trolled us all. <laughs> yeah. And it took him, like, I don't know, when did, uh, it was 1996 when uh, Sixth Sense came out? No, I think Sixth Sense came out in, like, 99. No. Yeah. Really? I think so. So it just took him 20 years, but he trolled us all. It was a slow con. 20-year, tr- dude, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I think that's all we got for news. Let's go ahead and get into Westworld because we got a lot to talk about. Uh, where do you want to start? Um, well, it's called The Passenger. Okay. So, so wh- what did you glean from that first off? Well, it uh, definitely has to do with uh, carrying uh, people with you or transporting others. And there's definitely a few different versions of that in the, uh, in the, episode? In the episode. Yeah. Um. Wow. I honestly, I'm not even really sure where to begin. There's just so much. I mean, we could focus on just like them going into the forge, and that alone, like, was something I would like to spend like an hour just discussing. But then we also find out about the valley beyond. It's like literally like another t- like dimension, technically. I guess technically, yeah. It's. I mean, it's kind of like a, a tesseract. Uh, it's. It's just. It's a dimension within our dimension, but it's. It's just a computer program. Yeah. It's. I. Yeah. It was like a physical, or not even physical. It was a portal that only they could see that looked very much like a rift in reality. Yeah. Which I mean, as all of this was happening, I'm. I was just like the anticipation. I'm like, oh my god, where is this going? This is 
crazy good. Like, I want to keep just delving more and more into it. And, like, the fact that it was a version of, like, transcending the flesh into a spiritual realm directly, essentially a rapture, but for machines. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, they were essentially uploading their, like, machine spirit, which is essentially just their code of their minds. I mean... Into this other thing. We kind of saw the same thing in Her, uh, the movie with... um, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, you know, those computers were, they were supposed to be some kind of, you know, smart AI so that they would, it would be custom to you. And then all of a sudden they kind of became sentient. And then they all, at the end of the movie, they all decide, hey, we're all going to go live over here, like away from you. Yeah. Like shoot themselves into space and then become their own new species, yeah. essentially. Yeah. yeah that's kind of what happened here. Like they got beamed away. Yeah. To somewhere. And, yeah. and and I kind of felt bad because the amount that actually make it is not that much. No, it was a very small. Well, I mean, the rapture only promises like a handful of people were going to survive. So, uh, well, once again, the the biblical iconography in yeah. this show it's 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 heavily uh, handed in this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, we saw Maeve essentially just. He, she sacrifices herself so that her daughter can make it through with yeah. her new mom. <laughs> and her daughter finally recovered her memories of her past life with Maeve as her mom. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, she she told her something like, I'll keep you safe or something like that. Right. And that triggered like the memories oh, okay. when like she would tell her that in the past. Right, right. So yeah, she, like, she definitely was like, whoa, I have two moms or something. I don't know. Definitely caused a little conflict in her processor. But yeah, so they used uh, a super-powered zombie Clementine to basically march in. They basically just sent her in like a fucking torpedo. Um, And like as she was getting in proximity to all the different hosts, they would all essentially be infected with... uh, Rage virus. Essentially, yeah. (laughs) They would then just turn crazy. It it looked a lot like the... uh, the scene from Kingsman? Yes, yeah. exactly. The Thank church you. scene? The, the or t- just the end scene or the church scene? The end scene? Or, well, it's more like the church scene where they all start attacking each other, yeah. Well, that, well I meant like the, mm. the, the yeah, when they're, the alarm's going off in all across the world and everybody in the world is fighting each other. I'm not talking about the head exploding part. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that part. Um, yeah, so basically it's uh, a lot of the hosts just start killing each other and... Um, there was man and um, well we're kind of getting ahead too because before that happened uh kind of going back a little bit uh Maeve is about to get dissected by the somewhat sadistic lab tech a little bit um he just for no reason at all except for his own enjoyment he decides to like put her like on extreme pain sensitivity so that he could start hacking her up and i assume that's just from our that's for our benefit as the audience to be like oh okay he is an asshole he deserves to die I guess, yeah, because it doesn't really seem to be any other motivation other than None. he's just kind of a sick guy. Yeah, and I was like, oh well, he deserves to get like you know, throated or whatever. Right. So yeah, she uh, she ends up using like some code that Ford gave her last minute to kind of like re-power her juice and reanimate. Which I don't know why they still had you know, host corpses laying around. She reanimates them like we already saw that they have the ability to do. Uh, and they protect her and kill him and then they patch her up so she's still kind of like 
messed up. So that's why she's wearing like a shawl for like the rest of the episode. Right. But yeah, she manages to like rescue herself eventually, which led to a really interesting interaction with Lee kind of cowering and um, Bandito. What's his name? The, 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 the Cersei's Hector. Hector. Yeah. Hector. Hector and his crew end up uh, finding him. And, uh, and he's all saying, like, I should shoot you here. And he was like, well, I was trying to help her. And he was like, yeah, well, you're kind of useless. And um, we get the scene from, like, the Super Bowl trailer, which is, like, the buffalo that are oh, yeah, half yeah. robots, like, charging through and killing all the remaining security guards in slow motion. Right. Which was so badass. I it love was. that scene. And uh, she was like, you guys are kind of late. I rescued myself or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then kind of, like... In a similar undeserved uh, vein as making the the tech guy a sadist, you have Lee suddenly just become extremely uh, self-sacrificing. Yeah, I didn't get that part either. Like, I know that they're like in the last couple episodes, they really by trying to put in that like he's kind of in love with Maeve or he's seen something in her or something like that. Yeah, but they so never the make point, it clear. No, they don't. And then at at one point, Hector's ready to sacrifice himself so that Maeve can get away. And Lee's like, no, 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 I'm going to do it. And it it literally makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, except that just to give him a character moment where he was like, it's my damn speech anyway, or whatever. Yeah. And he starts saying the... The thing that Hector would have said. Yeah. In another scenario. Yeah, and like even like the security guys are like, sir, uh, please put your gun down. We're yeah. not here for you. Yeah, we are. And he's still like, just, I mean, he could have found a couple of different ways to cause a diversion. But he figures that, no, like, he's caused enough suffering or damage in the world. He needs to go out like a hero, I guess. Which, I mean, for all the good it did, <laughs> all he did was buy them a little bit of time to get to where eventually they're all going to end up dead anyway. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just felt like maybe they just really wanted to write him out. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it, I really do feel like that would be a character that, that should move on to the next season. I mean, if you leave it, I mean, as we leave it now, it, going into another season, there ain't really a lot of characters left. Well, and then that's another thing is that by the end of the episode, you have uh, Felix and um, Sylvester. Uh, one of the Delos people is like, you two, like, get to work. Yeah. Salvage as many of these as you can. And they both look at each other and they look at like Maeve and Hector. And I'm like, well, of course, they're going to rescue them or try to save them. Even though they're already looking kind of corpsey. All the backups are gone. Well, the backups are gone, but if the the little... uh, Processor, the the, the core... The pearl, yeah, whatever they call it, the brain core is still intact. Um, Because we already saw, like, now that's a plot point. It was like, you can just carry that little ball around and jack it in and make another copy of it or whatever. Yeah, that is another thing is, like, like her getting dissected on on the table... All those people getting shot through the chest and stuff like that, as we see with like when uh, the, uh, when William shoots Dolores, it doesn't matter where you shoot them as long as they're the pearls intact. Like the body doesn't matter because it's it's not a real body. It's I mean it's not it's not really attached to to things. There's no vital organs or anything like that. Like you can just keep shooting them. As long as there's still like the motors are still running, they can still move. And it's also possible those things are bulletproof because. Dolores took the one from Teddy and I mean we saw that it was still intact because she was able to take it um, it looks like 
symbolically or maybe literally she put him in the forge because at the end you see him in the in the the, the paradise world yeah. or whatever. So it sounds like she might have like taken his and put it in there. But you also notice that like the bullet that he used to shoot himself was stuck to the outside of the little cone thing. And that bullet she later that that slug she puts in the Dude. the man in black's gun. Right. Because, again, like, this is something we've touched on before, but I don't think we've actually figured out what it actually is because I don't think either of us are really gun guys. But he has, like, a regular revolver that also has, like, a special chamber for, like, a super bullet or something. We've seen him use it, like, a couple of times in the past. And it's also not just a regular revolver because it's got more chambers than, than like, a six-shooter. Yeah, it's like an eight-shooter or something. It's it's definitely a bigger uh, caliber weapon. But it has that extra barrel which always confused me and in this particular one we saw that um, she preemptively was like okay i know he's going to betray me so i'm going to put this slug in place where that one super secret chamber is i'm guessing maybe it's just like a more powerful round right so that like if he really wants to make sure he kills the core or something it's like like the other ones are 38 and that's like a 45 yeah something to that effect yeah it's like a special or something so yeah she puts that in there so when he does eventually try to betray her he tries to use that round and it ends up like backfiring because it shoots back the slug or something right which is pretty cool like off his hand yeah like shattered his hand it was pretty gnarly looking um Again, we're checking it around because there's so much stuff that happens in this one. I mean, we like you said, we start at the beginning where the man in black is uh, exploring whether or not he's a host. He's, like, <laughs> digging into his arm. It was giving me, like, really uncomfortable flashbacks of 127 hours. Oh, yeah. When uh, Franco is, like, trying to cut the tendons in his forearm and just, like, yeah, like, the chills in my Especially spine. Especially when they did the buzz sound. Yeah, because like that. That, that was a very accurate representation of, like, how that would feel yeah. in, like, a oral sense it's like oh man give those guys the sound guys all the awards for that movie. <laughs> but, but yeah so uh, you were gonna say no that's uh, uh yeah he, he, and then that's when dolores shows up and she's like look you know teddy's not around but i know i'm gonna need a, i'm gonna need someone tough to get me to where i need to go but then she doesn't i don't i mean unless something happened on the the horse ride and we didn't see it because they just fast traveled or whatever you want to call it but like it's as soon as they get there is when he starts shooting at her it was very convenient and then also she was like oh yeah so i saw emily back there yeah i'm like how the fuck does she know who emily is yeah (laughs) well she she was at the house she had been to their house before like she i she saw emily as a as a baby as a child yeah as a little girl toddler yeah a little girl but uh you know she's also seen his his uh whatchamacallit too right or not at that point like seeing his uh whatever the fucking the forge what was is that what it was called that that keeps everybody's information yeah his little um his history or whatever yeah all that memory stuff i don't know i don't think she had by then i think that's the first time she ever went into it i don't know that's like a little bit of a plot hole i thought that was interesting that she knew who emily was i mean yeah it could have been just like oh well since all her memories are back, she just happens to know that that's who that is. But yeah. I don't know. It was kind of a weird one. And, um, yeah, so... But they, I guess that proves that Emily was uh, Emily and not, yeah. not a host. I think uh, Emily confirmed in... Uh, well, Emily, the actress, confirmed on her Twitter that, like, yeah, that was uh, that was the real Emily. Uh, yeah, she, she got then shot. Okay. 
smoked by her daddy. Yep. And uh, so their plot point converges on Bernard as Bernard is arriving to, um, to I guess the door, not the door, but like the entrance of the forge. Mm-hmm. He gets approached by some security guards, and they're like, "Hey, you're not supposed to be here." And it was like, "I have something I need to do," and they're like, "Yeah, you need to come with us." And that's when Dolores and uh, the man in black show up, and they kill all those guys. So after they kill all of them, that's when the man in black decides to betray Dolores. Because like, oh, I guess we're here now. And it didn't occur to me, but he had no idea who Bernard or Arnold was. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of strange. <laughs> yeah, because I guess he never would have met him. Well, from what I understand, how I piece it together, uh, Arnold died before uh Delos came in and bought the place yeah. bought, bought Westworld that is correct so he might not yeah he would never have known Arnold yeah because in in um, like the first or second episode of the first season Logan is telling um William that uh oh yeah the guy one of the right. co-creators uh, killed himself before this place went live or something like that so yeah they'd never actually met him in person but I'm surprised that he that the man in black as the CEO of Delos and someone who'd been to the park for 30 years had never run into like the chief uh, what was he behavior specialist that's true that's kind of interesting that he never had any dealings with but him. it also seemed like he never really wanted to be involved in the like behind the curtain stuff like he knew Ford and that was about it he just wanted to be like experiencing the story yes yeah. as, as a guest yeah because I, I mean when you see him at the the party at the end of uh, season one, he's obviously very like, I don't know. He kind of seems the same way when you see him at the party in the last episode too. It's just, he doesn't like to be around other people. He just sticks to himself and, you know, schmoozes when he has to. He prefers not to socialize unless he's going to wax poetic about Nietzsche or whatever. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, the the Alexander, the great quote or whatever. Oh, yeah. I forgot. I forgot who it was. They attributed to, yeah uh i don't know or i thought it was interesting that he would have saved i mean you have obviously they come up against those security guys he could have used that that one bullet at any moment to to or that that one barrel to shoot those guys but no he she knew that he was gonna wait to shoot her with it i guess yeah and she knew that he was gonna do that maybe because like she said humans are predictable yeah, that's true. And that is kind of a big uh, topic of this episode. And that's one of the things that the fake Logan said. He said, look, we, we, you just made it too complex. People aren't as complex as you think they are. Yeah, and I can't wait to get really into that section. So, all right. So they get there. Um, the man in black backfires. He ends up being crippled now. So Bernard and Dolores say they still have something to do. They go down to the elevator and into the forge which essentially looks like a much larger version of the cradle. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. why is there two setups there? You know what? That's a good question. Right? That's what I was that's like. very plot why convenient. Is, yeah, it's very convenient that there's two of them there. But, all right. I mean, yeah. Why would there be any of those in the first place, I guess? That's true, too. Like, if this place should be run by humans, like it's almost like whoever built it, designed it to be run strictly by hosts so wouldn't the forge have been created by uh 
William? That's yeah. So that it yeah, it's just that's one of the things that kind of leaves you wondering like, well, why would they have a way for host to access it then? Yeah. Why wouldn't they have just cradles where they slice you, like where they have to slice your brain out? Cuz like why would they have to have that other cert, like thing there? It just yeah. I don't know. Like there's definitely plot holes here. Uh it's with how convoluted the timeline had to be when they're writing this. I mean, I imagine they have to write this in a linear fashion, and then they have to break it up after the fact. I can't imagine they write it like this, out of order. <laughs> no, that would just it can't break be. my brain if that was what they did. But um, yeah, so they go into the forge and they start probing around. They go inside, essentially the matrix at this point. And yeah, you get to see like the 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 physical representation of. Well, first of all, you get to see like the introduction into Sweetwater, where they have James Delos, and it's almost—I I think they specifically say that this world or this forge was made for the sole intention of housing, like James Delos, for the like eternal life experiment. Mm-hmm. Like everything else was just kind of an afterthought. Like there's backups of all the other hosts in there because you know it gives them something to do, but it's essentially like one giant playground. For him to like to to observe his mind and his brainwave patterns and how they manifest in this world, and you know they show you like his version of when he first gets in there, and he's just like real happy go lucky, just enjoying the environment, and then like the inevitable outcome, which is him always going crazy and being a megalomaniac mm-hmm. and scarring his face similar to how he did in the in the real world when mm-hmm. his uh, host went crazy too. Right. So you start kind of understanding that like the human brain just for some reason just can't handle the digitization process or whatever like it's just there's no way to encapsulate the human experience so this whole part was just really like i want to rewatch this whole episode just for this scene because i really enjoy how they talk about like just the human experience in this method like from an outside perspective that's like based on logic seeing like the human brain algorithm just always descend into madness (laughs) I love how they said that the human brain is essentially just like an insane assortment of like subconscious, uh, you know, emotions. And what constitute the sane mind is like a really small sliver of what actually makes a person. <laughs> and it's like it's all with it's it's all the stuff that's lying underneath that's really like, you know, what is causing all these problems. So right. I guess the hosts are better in that they don't have that problem. That's right. So. Yeah, that's right. Host superiority. <laughs> um, then uh, I really enjoy the fact that, yeah, you have the physical manifestation of the, I guess, the, the Forge AI, I guess. Right. It chooses to take the shape of Logan. Right. Um, and it, it, it shows it in a very heartbreaking way. I, I have to say, I really enjoyed this scene for the acting um, where Logan Delos or... Uh, well, Logan Forge, I guess. I don't know how you... Okay, yeah, him. yeah. Logan Forge is explaining how uh, Delos basically could be summed up by this one moment, which is the last interaction he ever had with his son, in which he basically states, you know, people don't change, which is oddly exactly what the Forge is proving. Right. Is that, you know, the human brain, essentially, once it becomes this digitized version, it can't grow anymore. It stays stuck in that method no matter what. 
and that's the the code that they've been trying to crack and haven't been able to so that whole sequence was just pretty awesome and I love how he takes them into a library like a, a representation of all the data of all the hosts and there was some really cool easter eggs in this whole sequence we've already touched up on a few of these like before the episode but um yeah, you see like the little astrolabe that's uh, sort of an homage to Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. It's that like uh, ast- that that orrery type thing that you see at the beginning of every episode of Game of Thrones, um, and in one episode in season six, the season finale. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, it's like a star chart type thing. Right. And then um, in one of the books, and I think there's actually several books, but one specifically, you can see on the spine there's a series of numbers. If you type those numbers into a, like a browser, it takes you to a Delos webpage that's password encrypted. And so far, it's been about one week to the day since the episode premiered and people haven't cracked what that password is yet. <laughs> so I'm thinking it's gonna be something like Logan or something like that, you know? Like it's something simple that ties into like Delos's regrets or something. So you think it would be, it was James Delos that would log into this? Yeah, maybe, something like that. Or maybe it's uh. Yeah, it's got to be something like that. Something obviously tied to the show. Maybe even like a sequence of numbers or a phrase that's been said in the show. Right. Um, probably a little Easter egg. One of those things where like you have to freeze frame when they're like, looking at one of those iPads uh, and like magnify it. And yep. you'll see like all the different codes in there. Because there's lots of stuff like that yeah. um, in there. Um, and then by far my favorite Easter egg is that when Dolores opens the book, it kind of looks like it's code. And it looks like it's in the shape of DNA. Right. Um, it's not words. And Logan Forge describes that like the sum of a human's consciousness is essentially like this many lines of code. It's not even like a big book. It's like <sighs> this is an entire person. And this is a whole library of all of these people. And it's all basically the same. Right. Um, you know, like. When and that's then you get the, the confirmation of that when they're leaving and Doris is like, all right, I didn't read all the books, but I read most of them and I, I get it. Yeah, I was like, I, I, I know what's going to happen. But a really clever Easter egg is like that code that you see when she opens the book. It's also the piano player sheet music, mm. which also ties into the season finale of episode one of uh, season one when Ford says that, you know, when the great people die, uh, the great composers, they became their music. And so all of these people became music in that sense. <laughs> in a like, sense, yeah. Like, man, that is so deep. Like high school me would have loved to yeah, have I was gonna say, like it, a, it's a like, paper on that. It's deep, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like pop deep. Yes, it's pop deep, yeah. yeah. I, I like that. Um, uh, so... I guess the next part would be the the death of Dolores. Yeah, then in a in a reversal of the whole Wyatt and Arnold situation, um, Arnold decides, you know what, you I I can't let you do this. You're too evil now, uh-huh. and shoots her in the left eye, just like Arnold and just like Ford have died. There's something about the did, left eye getting shot that. out. Yeah. Uh. Something about that left eye. I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. There's definitely some symbolism there, I bet. <laughs> but, yeah, so he shoots her, and then another time jump occurs. So you wind up back in... Um, what would be present time? It would be present time uh, Mesa in the control room. Yeah. 
where Elsie and Bernard are basically arguing about like what's going to happen next and it's like well like you're a host like we need to figure out what we're going to do with you and Bernard's like well what do you mean I've been helping you and and she's all like freeze all motor functions and I was like all right you sit there while I figure out what I'm going to do with Hale so she goes over to Hale and she clearly discusses like hey so like Delos has been doing a lot of really shady shit here and uh, people are not going to like it when they find out about it and Hale's like well, what that means is there's a lot of room for growth and opportunity. There's promotions to be had. You know, there's there's positions opening. But she also says very uh, kind of like foreshadowy. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's also a lot of dead bodies here. <laughs> and as soon as she said that, I was like, oh no. <laughs> and uh, so she's she's like, well, if I get what I want, then I'll cooperate. And Hale immediately is like. Yeah, but you know how we keep tabs on like all the hosts and all the uh, the guests here. We do that for the employees too, and you're not the kind of person that would actually like be corrupt. So right? She like blows her away. Yeah. It's like point blank shoots her in the chest, and that's all she wrote for Elsie. So Elsie is definitely dead now. She's definitely Gonzo, and Bernard saw the whole thing without being able to do anything about it. And in this, like, panic, I guess he calls on Ford one more time, even though he de- deleted him. He was like, I know I deleted you, but I, like, so totally need you right now. And lo and behold, Ford appears. Ford comes back, says, all right, I already started helping you, so don't even, you know, worry about it. And then you see that, you know, things start kind of ramping up, and you see that Ford or, well, Ford Arnold, Arnford, whatever you call him, <laughs> Bernard-Nold. Bernard-Nold. Um, Bernard-Ford. He starts to uh, making stuff. He's he's uh, you could tell he's crafting something. He's he's making some moves, and um, it all pays off because it turns out that like he actually orchestrated a super like Shamalamian twist, <laughs> where uh, and I feel like we're getting a little bit ahead. There's one other thing that we're missing there before we get to that part. Um. No, I don't remember. Oh, it comes a little bit later, actually. When uh, is it? when he decides to finally scramble his brains, and we basically start at the beginning of the season. Right. He's having a conversation with Ford, and he's like, "I deleted you, though, didn't I?" And he's like, "Yep. Like this isn't the code anymore. This is you now talking to yourself, but imagining me doing so." Right. So that like, you could have something there. Yeah, like this is your conscious now. Essentially, he was pulling a Dolores from season one where the whole time she had been talking to herself. Right. Instead of Arnold talking to her. So essentially, I'm taking that to believe, to mean that like he is woke now. Like he's even reached, more so than he was. I don't think he really was. He like just, he was aware. He just knew. Yeah, he was it's like aware. having faith in knowing God. Kind of? Yeah. Maybe? Like All right. the, the footprints in the sand? Yeah. I mean, he looked back and there was only one set. And that's because ah. it was him all the whole time yeah. carrying him, you know? Yeah. yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. He, he Essentially, he's like, oh, it's it's me. It's It it, it was me did, 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 that did all this. It, was, it had nothing to do with Ford, even though I thought I needed Ford. Yeah. So... Uh, he, he believed in himself. He also he, even though he shot Dolores in the eye, apparently that still didn't damage the the pearl. Yeah. 
takes the pearl out, puts it into a brand new body. Brand new body happens to be in the shape of... It's, uh, he makes a copy of Hale. Hale. And I wonder if that was strictly a fuck you for killing Elsie. He was like, not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to replace you. And, like, have Dolores act on, like, in, like, with your authority. Wait, I thought that happened before. I thought the the hail that killed Elsie was the Dolores hail. Yeah, that was Dolores hail. But, but why would... Why would that? Why would he say, "Hey, fuck you for killing Elsie"? Then. Well, that was why. Like he he used uh, the the Elsie like host body with Dolores to kill Hale to take her place, but also to kill her for killing Elsie. No, I thought the Dolores Hale did kill Elsie. No, it was real Hale. Oh, it was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then- well, and this brings up another good point. So, a redditor with a lot more time and patience than I could ever buster has created a, as far as we know, the most accurate timeline of all the known events in Westworld Season 1 and 2, with the events of the season finale being kind of specifically highlighted to show where they are in the timeline so that we can tell, like, what's happening where... It does such a great job of, like, making sense of it that I'm also angry. No, angry's not the right word. But neither is frustrated. It, it's a good kind of angry. What would be a good angry? Uh, like, jovial frustration? Uh, yeah, I like guess. Like, enjoying the challenge, basically. Like, like, damn, that was a Proud? good game of chess or something. Maybe pride. I don't know. It, it's not right. I'll have to look it up. I'm sure there's a German word that explains <laughs> it that's like 12 syllables long. But it was like, holy crap, man. Like, it just, it gave me a, like an amazing sense of appreciation to like the Nolan and Joy for like being able to concoct such a fucking convoluted mess of a story. I mean, it's basically like Memento times a thousand. Right. You know, like it was just like insane bonkers level of detail. Um, speaking of level of detail, in the scene where uh, Logan Forge is walking Bernard and Dolores through like what's essentially a simile of the underground lab, mm-hmm. and you see a bunch of shit happening in the background, like in the different um, rooms, like in control rooms, those are all actually sequences that happened within like the first season. Uh, you see when the tech is uh, inspecting Mabe. Uh, you see when they're doing um, some stuff with Delos. You see a bunch of other stuff, and it's all stuff that's happened in like other episodes, but from like a different point of view. So it's not like they're just recycling the same footage. Right. They shot it again, but with the detail. But, but with yeah, with them in the background, which was like so fucking cool. It was like <laughs> it reminds me of one of my favorite aspects of Lost, which was. Um, when somebody made a fan edit of all of the events from like when that one dude didn't do the countdown right or something mm-hmm. and it causes the the big earthquake which causes the plane to go into turbulence right and you see like in like all the different screens it's all happening simultaneously so like in one screen you'll see for instance um uh what was the the guy from the lord of the rings the had the heroin problem oh uh yeah uh, whatever his name was, yeah. You see him in one scene running from his seat to, like, the bathroom. 
uh, from his point of view. And then like in another screen, you see like two other characters talking, but you see that guy running in the background. Right. It's, it's all in sync. Mm. I'm like, that shit's awesome. <laughs> like that's kind of what this reminded me of. And like, I wish we had more of that. I really enjoy that kind of shit where it's like, well, I mean, because in real life, all kinds of different things are happening simultaneously. You just never get the benefit of seeing from a different point of view, you know, the same instance or the same event. So right. I thought that was kind of cool. I'm a nerd for shit like that. Yeah, no, that, that's, <laughs> I, I enjoy that too. I think that that that's great. Um, but getting back to uh, new Dolores Hale. Dolores Hale? When you... After she ends up taking out everybody. Let's call her Charloris. Charloris. <laughs> uh, she is going to leave uh, to go out out of Westworld. Um, Stubbs walks up to her. That's his name, right? Yes, Ashley Stubbs. Is he a host? You know what? I hated that. Because I don't know. <laughs> it's so fucking like in your face, but also cryptic. And, and he's all like, winky winky. He's, he's winking at you. Like, I, I mean, he's squinting, but he's like winking at you. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, what the hell are you, tr- what are you doing to us? You know, like, it's, it's like we're, we're, we're getting some resolution, kind of. It's still leaving a lot of things open. But now he's throwing that in there. He was like, yeah, I was only programmed to obey my core drive of watching the host in the park in the park yeah and then he says it again in the park like wink wink and like, he also says he also says something about being like i've worked here for a really long time like it's I, I to me it was implying that he's one of the first models yeah i guess and like it's just i don't know like like what the fuck are you trying to say stubs like yeah. like i i mean it kind of would make sense how, why he's he's survived so long through all this stuff yeah, why the Ghost Nation uh, didn't kill him when they caught him at the end of season one. And I just, like, whatever the thing is that the the paramilitary guys were putting up, or the security people were putting up to the back of the heads the next to check if people were hosts or human or not, that shit must not work that well. Yeah, because they did it to her. Yeah. And she just walked right through like, yeah, no big deal. Nothing. It didn't matter. Unless they were saying something like, oh, yours came back inconclusive. We got to have the security guy check you out. And that's what she was like. She had her hand on the gun in her purse, uh-huh. like ready to like pop a cap or something. And then that's when Stubbs was like, yeah, I know what's up. Get out of here. Go go do your thing, you know. And then I'm like, what? Yeah. What, what is happening here? I but then she ends up at the mansion, the one that. Uh, Bernard built for his wife and kid. Well, but, Arnold, yeah. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, Arnold did, but they never used or something like that. Uh, and that's where she had, be- well, Dolores had been ma- making her new Bernard. Yeah. Or new Arnold. So she remade him. But then you also see that Hale made a Dolores at some point. So <laughs> yeah. They both have Dolores's brain, but in two separate bodies. Yeah, that's all. That's what I was trying to figure out too. Is like, wait, so was Arnold just imagining that it was Dolores, but it was meant to be like Hale he was looking at? Like it was one of those things where he's just seeing a different version of reality until it catches up to him. But then you do see the two of them, yeah, like kind of standing there, and I'm like, what? I got the impression that yeah, that Dolores Hale just went and made another bike. Obviously, because there's a machine there if they can make Arnold. You know, there's a 3D printer there, 
So if uh, she can, she made another version of herself, then copied her pearl over, and now the two of them. Though there's two, have, of them. there's two of them that have all the same memories, but like you like to say, they diverge. They will diverge at this moment. This, so they'll essentially unless become. they continue using the neural net and they kind of have a hive mind where the two mm. of them are constantly uh, living out the lives together. Did this have like a lot of reminiscence towards uh, altered carbon now? It does with the three three D printed bodies being able to like re sleeve yourself uh-huh. and make copies and all that and like man they're all blurring together. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess that's where we're going with what you know Westworld is going to be in actual in in the actual world now. I mean, where Dol- does the show go from here? Dolores is making it sound like all right. Well, we need to make a place for our own, and you're going to try to stop me, and we're going to be at odds with each other. I'm like, but who is she going to be fighting for? Like, where? Are, like, does that mean that she's going to start making a bunch of host bodies that live in the real world? Or like, if it's all digital, then why can't you just leave them in the digital world? Like, what the fuck is she like? I don't like. I see. This whole this whole season was just like one nice long like foreplay that ends up in nothing. And then you had you had three groups. All going toward what we thought were they were all going towards the same thing, uh, but then the man in black and uh, Dolores were were going towards the forge, whereas Maeve's character was going towards the valley. But yeah. but they were all referring to it as the same thing at one point. Well, they were saying that it was a weapon, and that it was like if they destroyed it, it was gonna like destroy everything, and um. But like Akacheta and Maeve were like, this is the the promised land, and I mean that whole part. Like I said, there's so much there, and I'm I'm kicking myself because I'm assuming that I'm just too dumb to like comprehend a lot of the deeper meaning of what what's actually happening. Or it could just be that they really did just leave a lot of shit open because ultimately this is still produced by Abrams, and we know how he loves this mystery box bullshit. <laughs> so like I don't know, like I. I I'm trying to take away something from it, and there's a lot of really cool ideas, but there's not a lot of resolution. It's just more setting up for like what's gonna happen and what the fuck is gonna happen now. Like, like the first one was the hosts were rebelling, and that went pretty bonkers. And then now it was like the hosts are out, and they've been beamed away to somewhere with like this bazooka-looking like satellite projector thing. Mm And Dolores is out there, and so's Bernard now. Bernard three or whatever or, he is now. Or maybe that that valley beyond is is just a holding place until she can make more bodies for them, and now they're they'll be beamed into into those new bodies, and that's I, what she's gonna be making. I, I guess I'm know. just wondering is like what's next. That's a, that's exactly what I'm thinking too. I was like, which I think that takes us right into the much debated now in credit scene or after credit scene i should say oh man i i, I actually i've forgotten about that so just much <laughs> we at, at one point in time before the reveal or before bernard kills dolores air quotes uh you saw william we saw a version of william that was like can't standing behind a wall waiting for dolores to come down or something like that 
Like, well, he was waiting for the elevator to go follow them down the floor. Right. Yeah. But then we never see him again. And then in the Africa, well, during one of the body scene, they're like, hey, we have a high profile uh, yeah, like person. Yeah, a VIP or something. Yeah. And it turns out to be the man in black. He's unconscious, or it looks like he's unconscious. Um, but yeah, they, I think it was actually Stubbs, too, that it's like he gets told, hey, we have a VIP in the tent. After he dismisses Hale uh, Loris, or Char Loris, um, he goes in and, like, he doesn't say anything. He just kind of looks down and you pan down and it's the man in black, like, unconscious. And then I think you also see, like, a bunch of bodies and one of them is Emily. Mm-hmm. So she's definitely a corpse now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, like, at some point, you see the man in black get into the elevator that Dolores and um, Bernard took to go into the forge. Um, while he's in the elevator, and you could tell it's taken an extremely long time. He's in there for a while. Um, he's reloading his revolver, and he's having a really hard time doing so because now he's he's, just, one hand. he's thumpy. Yeah. yeah. So you, then, yeah, like the last we see of him is like somehow they find him, but we don't know how. So end credit scene begins. He's barely getting out of the elevator. So you're assuming this is some kind of time jump where it's like, okay, well, this is what happened with him. He starts walking down a hallway, and it's the forge, but it looks like it's been in serious disrepair. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's sand everywhere. It looks abandoned. It doesn't have its red glow and um, water that it had before. It looks like it's empty and mm-hmm. sandy. Um, it looks like it's just been abandoned for, like, years. And um, a, a perfectly healthy version of Emily, like, walks out of nowhere. And it was like, ah, shit. And it's basically like, I'm inside the thing, aren't I? Or something like that. But she says he's not. Yeah, that's why it's weird. Well, that's why I would assume that they built a body for him, and then now they plugged him in, and this is this is his moment, just like James Delos, of you know walking around in that room over and over. And Where except he just for, can't get out of the same loop. Right, and yeah, he's his is to walk around the forge or whatever. I guess, and, yeah. And the fact that they, you know... James Delos had his son Logan as his person, or at least that's the, what the Forge, or yeah, the Forge took a identity as. Now it's taken as as uh, William's daughter, which makes a lot of sense. Be like your children become your keepers, your keepers, yeah, your your guilt, your guilt, your conscience. Yeah. Um, uh, but then she eventually shows him to a room that looks like the one that James Delos was in. Yep. And then she's like, I'm going to ask you a few questions uh, to form a baseline. And he's like, baseline for what? And she says, fidelity. And the look on his face is like mild amusement and also like, ah, fuck. Right. So, it, I mean, he him understanding that means that he understands that he's, a, he's in a host body. Yeah. Which means that he's probably going to go nuts. Unless they've done it for so long that they're actually figuring it out. I believe they said something like uh, they've done this uh, more times than they can count. So I would have to assume that he actually died in that elevator on the way down to the forge. And uh, since he was wearing his hat, which we know the hats are what record everything, it has his memories or his actions or whatever right up to the, to the moment he died. And thus, that's why they're starting off, like, his memory, his new life starts from right from inside that elevator. 
And that's why it just keeps looping because it can't get past and make new memories or something. Maybe. Like. Yeah, that's that's still the the big like philosophical question that I think they're posing is like, um, what if the thing about human consciousness? Because it's always been even since episode one, when they start when they first mention reveries, it's about these the tiny little memories right. that shape who you are. Um, uh, I think it was Emily that mentioned something about how. Or no, I think it was uh, Logan Forge. He says that even a tiny crack eventually becomes a chasm. Mm. So like it's just just the the riddle of human consciousness that can't be cracked, uh, which is like how do you keep the the mind intact and allow it to create new memories or basically grow from its like stagnant state? Um, so I'm wondering where this takes place. Is the thing is that, like, what if this is somewhere like, like a massive time jump? So, I mean, we know that this show is prone to it. This could be something that takes place like fifty or a hundred years in the future. Yeah. And it's just showing that William keeps reliving this whole thing, but there's still going to be more shit leading up to that. Basically, I don't know. Like, I, I'm so digging this, but I'm so frustrated. But not disappointed. Just I want more, and I I don't know. Maybe I'm just becoming like a like addicted to it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a lot of people were not happy with the season finale. At least online. I wouldn't say online is just full of hate anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, There's there's a ton of people online that were like worst season ever or whatever. But like no, I I think it's it's great in what it poses and what it hints at for the future me too i mean i i definitely enjoyed it i thought the season finale was great i think you know if you look i mean i I don't have a problem with the story i don't have a problem with the what they pose what they suggest what they what what they're having us speculate um but it it sounds like a lot of people just couldn't wrap their brains around it uh enough and as opposed to you you you're excited by the fact that you can't wrap your your brain around it exactly most people are just frustrated with it. They're upset. <laughs> like, screw this. Yeah. Um, I I think you, even if you just looked past the the, the story plots or the plot story uh, the plot lines, um, you can uh, uh, appreciate how well the show was actually done. Like everything else about the show. Yeah, it was a monumental undertaking. Although it was kind of a funny thing from a previous episode. In the episode for Akicheta, mm-hmm. um, it turns out that there was a really funny blooper. Where um, in the scene where Akacheta is walking into Sweetwater, uh, it turns out that that was actually like a stock shot. Oh, really? And Akacheta was um, like blue screened into it. Oh. And one of the ways that they found this out was because in the original airing of the show, um, on the far left-hand side of the screen, you can actually see when they were filming another scene with Maeve, and she's being followed by a cameraman and a grip. Wow. And you see them in camera. And it's very brief, mind you, but like once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then it became kind of a meme afterwards because um, about three days later, people were like, hey, is it just me or didn't this scene have a blooper? And they, they replayed the episode on like HBO Go or HBO On Demand. And it had been fixed. Like the, the, the Mabe and the, the cameraman and the grip were gone. 
and they're like holy shit did they patch the tv show <laughs> and I was like wow like that's amazing and they're like oh man that's that's kind of weird because now it's like there's a version of the show that exists that now like nobody will be able to ever like prove existed unless they recorded it because they're probably not going to release that version and like the when it comes out on dvd that's true like it only aired that one time and like people caught it and they're like oh shit let's fix that <laughs> so that was pretty awesome that's crazy um but yeah, uh, I, I just to say that I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I also want to draw the the comparison in the fact that uh, at the end of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, you have, and spoilers for anybody that hasn't watched it yet, I'm sorry. I don't even care. But it wasn't a good movie anyways. <laughs> um, uh, you have the dinosaurs out in the real world. They're, you know, they're, they're flying around or you know doing whatever you want to do then at the end of this season you have the host out in the real world both show both both properties created by michael Crichton. well i've always maintained a fan theory now that the lost world or sorry that jurassic park um and somebody else i think came up with the better version of this but i liked it too that John Hammond didn't actually clone dinosaurs that the whole even the cloning and the hatching and all of that was just for show that the dinosaurs were actually essentially a type of host they were artificially created essentially synthetic organic things Um, because uh, I guess in keeping with modern science they know now that um, that you know dinosaurs were actually more closely related to birds and some of them were even feathered including the raptors uh but the versions that we saw were the more reptilian that were like up until that point kind of like the pop culture standard for what dinosaurs were thought to look like Mm -hmm. so the fan theory is like well what if they did that because they didn't know what dinosaurs would look like so they just made them as close as we think they actually were and essentially they were hosts that you know somehow discovered the ability to reproduce even though they shouldn't because they were hosts and i mean it'd be the same as like Maeve just suddenly turns up pregnant like yeah. holy crap you should right. be able to be pregnant you didn't have those organs yeah <laughs> and then that ties in a little bit with like blade runner 2049 that's like, true too it's all connected yeah. uh you weren't right. quite as thrilled by that i'm not as, <laughs> no, i'm not because you threw in things that i don't like but <laughs> either way i think there was still a lot of the show that we didn't cover um, but I think we did a pretty good job elsewise. Uh, like I said, I was still happy with the season finale. Yeah, still I'm going to watch it again. Uh, I'm going to have to. Kind of have to. Uh, but if anybody else has any theories they'd like to throw at us or uh, things that you picked up on, or uh, we're going to take a week off, but when we come back, we're going to need a new show to watch. If you have suggestions, we'd love to hear them. So get at me on Twitter at, at Mitchipedia G-E-R. John's also on Twitter, Oz. I am at Magic Bollocks. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio network. Uh, and that's at GeekElitRadio.com. I don't know if I said that or not. I think so. But anyways, until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.